Thank you for listening to Simple Church, where we love God, love others, and serve our world. Tune in today for a life-changing message from our lead pastor, Tom Allen. We've been studying a very interesting series about underdogs, because all of us have felt like underdogs at different times in our lives, you know? We felt like, I'm not able to do that, or they wouldn't want me to do that, or I'm not capable, and, and we felt that way, and God wants us to be top dogs. He's, he's at work all the time in our lives to make us top dogs, and so we learned about Gideon and how God made him a top dog, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were underdogs, but God was there with them, and we learned about Benaiah, we learned about Esther, and today we're going to study a, a very interesting person. His name is David, and he definitely, definitely was an underdog, but he and all those others that I've mentioned understood the truth of 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. This is kind of our theme verse for this series. Notice what it says. God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. I'd like for us to say that together because that's just key to everything we learned this morning. God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So let's get into our story of David, the underdog who became a top dog. It starts in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 4 through 7 and 10 and 11. Notice it. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. That would be uncomfortable, I would think, you know. Uh, you'd be banging your door, your head on the doors all the time, you know. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet, and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor, and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of this spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. Now this is the guy that was the, the standard bearer for the Philistine army. So instead of the army coming out and fighting, a lot of times the way they would fight battles is they would have their biggest dude champion warrior come out and say, you send me your champion warrior and we'll fight and whoever wins, that's the victory. So this was Goliath. Um, then the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. And when Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. And the Bible tells us that for days after days after days, Goliath had come out and he had insulted and challenged the Israel army and they were scared to death and nobody came out to fight him. And that's where our underdog, David, comes in. Because David was the son of Jesse. He was uh, uh, taking care of their sheep. Three of his brothers were in the Israelite army. They were out on the field there, and his father had a care package that he wanted David to take to his brothers, plus he wanted him to bring back a report. And so David went and there, and he arrived just as the two armies were going through their daily routine. And he saw this giant come out and challenge the Israeli army. He saw them cower in fear and back up. And uh, it's at this point that David's going to give us three battle strategies to deal with our 
giants. You see, every one of us have giants that just pop up in our lives. And they look so big. And they look so formidable. And we don't know exactly how to deal with them. Many times there are problems or fears or worries that come into our life. But a lot of times there are opportunities and possibilities and challenges for good that come into our lives. But we stand back and we say, oh my goodness, I'm just an underdog. I I can't do that, or I can't deal with this fear, or I can't deal with this great opportunity. That's the kind of thinking that we often have. So the first battle strategy is this. Hear the lies. Okay? Now, all through our lives, we're going to be told lies. And so the first battle strategy is you've got to hear the lies so you can recognize that's exactly what they are. Their lies. Here's how it happened for David. 2 Samuel 17, 23. As he was talking with them, that's his brothers, he was talking with his three brothers, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks, and then David heard him shout his unusual taunt to the army of Israel. And as David stood there and heard, the army of Israel was cowering in fear, and David became very angry. And he made this statement in verse 26. Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the, uh, the armies of the living God? Now you've got to understand that not only was Goliath you know, taunting and, and making fun of the Israel army, but he was really making fun of Israel's God, who was the Lord of their army. And that made David angry. Now, before we go any further with the story, I want to ask you a question. What lies are you and I believing? Because you see, there's lies all over. Our culture is just full of lies. And people are buying into those lies. And, and it's breaking our hearts. And it's breaking so many people's lives. One of the lies is this. Well, we're going to get divorced because we got a bad marriage. I want you to know something. There's no such thing as a bad marriage. There never has been a bad marriage. There are no bad marriages today. There never will be a bad marriage because marriage is an institution of God. God said, if a man and a woman want to live together and have a home and a family, then the way they do that is they pledge their life and their love to each other as long as they live. They make that holy covenant together. And once you choose, because you see, nobody has to get married. Married is a choice. And so you find someone and you say, I want to spend my life with you. And you make that choice. And you say, I do before God, before the witnesses in the, in the church or wherever the service is, before the law when you sign the papers. And you say, I do before each other. That's why you make those vows to each other. And God says, that's a holy covenant, holy matrimony. It's for the rest of your life. And people start living together, and they realize after they fall off the honeymoon cloud, which lasts from an hour to a year, they fall off that cloud, and they realize, oops, I married a human being, not an angel that I thought I was getting, you know. 
And all of a sudden, you got to figure out how to live with that dysfunctional person that you married. Because we're all dysfunctional in our own unique, weird ways. And it takes about 20 years to work through that to where you really understand what it means to be one. Because you've got to go through about four or five seasons of life to figure out how to really live together as one. And so many people, they try it for a year or two and say, man, this is hard. And I'm not sure I like this person anymore because now I found out all these things I didn't know. And we got a bad marriage. No, you don't. You've got a wonderful marriage. It's God-ordained. But now you are to give your life to it and work through it, through the hard things, those things that are going to just really take almost the life out of you. You work through them to where you come to a point where you stand back and say, man, has God been good. And boy, are we glad we stuck with this thing. See, you don't have a bad marriage. That's a lie that our culture is telling. We've got two dysfunctional people trying to figure out how to be one, and they've got to have the faith and the patience to stick it out until that happens. I can't tell you how many people have come to me and said, we're getting divorced, and I've said to them, no, you're not. And some of them go ahead. <laughs> but a bunch of them don't. And then they come back to me five, ten years later, and they say, oh, my goodness. Are we glad we stuck it out? I did a funeral about four weeks ago for a 29-year-old young man, and I was amazed at the reception because there were a bunch of people that I've known in the past that came to this funeral. I hadn't seen them for years, some of them 20 years. And I had about four couples come up to me and say, Tom, it was, it was some of those things that you said to us that caused us to stay together, and now we're so glad we did. I was just, I thought, man, man, that's the way it's supposed to work. So a lie is you got a bad marriage. Now, here's another lie. Another lie is this. Um, uh, you can't break. The, I, just, I just can't break this addiction. I, I've got this addiction. Hey, you and God can do anything. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. But it's a lie. Well, you know, I, I was addicted, so I'm going to always be addicted. No, you aren't if you're trusting in Christ and walking with him on a daily basis. Because let me give you a little formula that I think is so important, okay? And that formula, it's on another slide, so you'll need to find it. Um, but it's you plus God equals enough. Can you find that one? Not in there. It's not in there. So let me just tell you what it is, okay? Here's the formula. You plus God equals enough. You see? You plus God equals enough. And that's what we need to rejoice in. And then the third thing is, you may have been told you're a loser or you're worthless or you're a failure. You know, lie after lie after lie. And so many people are believing the lies they're being told. But I want you to know you are a child of the living, eternal, all-powerful, loving God. And I'm going to say it again. You plus God is enough. That's all. So, what we need to do in the midst of all these lies, because you see, Goliath was lying to them. I am the giant. You are kind of pathetic. And David saw that and got angry because David knew that he plus God was enough. And he wouldn't believe those lies because he knew the truth and he rejected them. And so David said to King Saul, I think it's so cool. Now you got to know, this is a little shepherd boy. There's a mighty giant, you know. 
And David said to King Saul, I know a lie when I hear it. Here's how he put it. 1 Samuel 17, 32. Don't worry. King Saul, oh, king, you who is tall and stands above everybody else but are cowering and scared of this giant, I want you to know something. Don't worry about this Philistine. I'll go fight him. Little puny shepherd boy. I'll go fight him. Now, that brings us to the second battle strategy when we face giants. And that second battle strategy is this. Listen and evaluate the haters, but then don't listen to those naysayers, those haters, okay? And what I mean by that is, anytime someone comes to you with constructive criti with criticism, okay, You've got to evaluate, is this constructive criticism or is, are they wrong? So you listen to what people say. You've got to hear what people say. But then you have to truly evaluate, is that a lie and are they wrong? Or is this is what I believe God wants me to do of God? Now David faced that naysayer in King Saul. Because King Saul came to him in 1 Samuel 17, and he said this, don't be ridiculous, David. I think it's so cool. You little puny shepherd boy. Have you seen that guy? You know, come on. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You are only a boy. And he's been a man of war since his youth. And David didn't listen to him. And he responded to the king. He, I'm sure he evaluated. He said, boy, that guy is big, but my God's bigger. Yeah. And, and so he didn't listen to the king because he, he listened, but he didn't listen because he knew what he was saying, that, that, that uh, criticism, that objection, that opposition was not true. And so what he did was he remembered his God stories. Now, this is why we need to always realize God's at work in our lives. God's doing things today that you may not understand for 10 years. He's doing things today that we may not even fully understand until we get to heaven with him. But God's always up to stuff. He's always doing things. And he was doing things in David's life, and David couldn't even figure it out. But he remembered when he was facing this giant what God had done for him in the past. And so he tells Saul, he says, I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. And when a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and I rescue the lamb from its mouth. And if the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears. This is a little shepherd boy, okay? I have done this to both lions and bears, and I will do it again to that pagan Philistine also, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Now, at first bloom, when you hear him say that, you might say, you arrogant, proud little kid. Yeah. You don't have a chance. Have you seen him? You don't have a chance. But then David tells Saul, why he remembered those stories and how those stories came to pass. Because he said, he said, the Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear. See, it was the Lord. It wasn't David. It was David plus God was enough. 
The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from... I remember my stories. I remember what God did in the past. Now I know why he did that. So I would be able to have enough faith and, and courage and strength in the Lord to be able to stand before this guy and say, you're not going to say that to the armies of Israel. You're not going to say that to my God anymore. So he said, he said, he's going to rescue me from this Philistine. And Saul finally consented. And he said, all right, go ahead. And then he said, and may the Lord be with you. And David said, well, yeah, that's my only choice. That's my only hope. But he will. But he will. And so David and Goliath face off in the valley. Now, now, now get the picture. This Goliath is full of armor. He's nine feet tall. He's got all kinds of weapons hanging off of his body. And David is in his little shepherd boy garment. Okay. Now look what happens. 1 Samuel 17, 41 through 44. Goliath walked out toward David. That's so cool. With his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the name of his gods. Come over here, little punk, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. Now, that leads us to our final battle strategy, okay? And the final battle strategy is this. Don't focus on the giant. Focus on God, okay? Now, what is our natural problem? <laughs> the minute a giant comes, a huge opportunity, a pitiful thing, like they experienced in El Paso yesterday. And I guess in another place in Ohio late last night. And you look at that, and that's just a giant. I pray for the leaders in that city and how they're, all, all of the 20 funerals that are going to happen and the nine funerals in Ohio. And I, I think of all those families and those people that have been praying for them because, my goodness, and those who are, are ill, and some of them are shot, and some of them critically wounded. And I think, man, they're facing giants unexpected giants. They didn't even know about it 24 hours ago. Maybe right now, 24 hours ago. When those giants come, opportunities, heartbreak, our tendency is always to look at the giant. And if you want to be defeated, if you do not want to become a top dog, if you do not want victory, then look at your giant, because it's a giant. <laughs> I can't overcome that. It's a giant. But if you look at your God, then all of a sudden, my goodness, I see the giant, but God and I are enough. We're enough. I can face that giant in the Lord. I can face this giant in the Lord. So we've got to compare our giant to God. And anytime you look at that giant and you compare him to God, ah, I'm okay. 
That's exactly what David did. Let's look at the rest of the story. 1 Samuel 17, 45 through 46. David replied to that Philistine Goliath, you come to me with sword and spear and javelin. <laughs> you got all your human things. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied today. Now you notice he doesn't say, today I will conquer you. <laughs> what does he say? Today the Lord will conquer you. And then I will be used of that Lord in his conquering to kill you and cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world. Now here's the reason. The whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Don't focus on your giant. Your giant is puny in comparison to the almighty God. You plus God equals enough. Enough. So here's how it happened. 1 Samuel 17, 48 through 51. As Goliath moved closer to the attack... David quickly ran out to meet him. I think that's so funny. What had the Israelite armies done? They cowered and moved back. And David ran out to meet him. Reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled, he hurled it with his sling, and he hit the Philistine right in the forehead. And the stone sank in, and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone. Remember all the armament this guy had? A sling, little shepherd boy sling, and a stone. For he had no sword. And then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from his sheath, and David used it to kill him and cut off his head. Hmm. David wasn't... Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Not a pretty picture for us, but it was a powerful picture for the Israelite army. Because once again they were reminded, Jehovah God is the one who fights their battles. You see, every time the Israel army remembered God, they were victorious. Every time they forgot him, they were defeated and often taken into captivity. Just read the Old Testament. That's the story of the Old Testament. People who would obey God and be blessed, people who would turn from God, and they had to work through the consequences of that. David was an underdog, but he knew he had a great God. And in our life's battles, we are often underdogs, but our God is not an underdog. He is the top God. And he wants to make us his top dogs. So today, here's our key statement for this morning. Face your giant and its lies. Move forward in God's strength. And your giant will go down, if you'll leave that up. I don't know what your giant is today. I don't know what you're having to work through today. 
Because we come to church and we, we do our nice little smile and eat donut and sing song thing. Okay? But every one of us have our own giants that we're working through. And I want you to know, if you face your giant and its lies, and you move forward in God's strength, your giant will go down. Now, why? Why does God want us to be top dogs? Why does God want us to give the victory? So that we may show this world what a God we have. And that that will be a witness to them of people who can face their giants with faith in God and come out victorious over whatever this world or life or hell itself might throw at us. God wants to rule and reign in our lives. He wants to turn us into underdogs, from underdogs into top dogs, and he wants to do it all for his glory and for our best. Father, I pray that you will help this gathering of people, this family called Simple Church, to be a church where increasingly we are so strong in our faith in you and our connectedness together with each other that we are willing to take on any giant that can come into our life knowing that you're there with us. Anytime we get in a fiery furnace, you're going to be there with us. When we're in a den of lions, you're going to be there with us. When we're trying to walk on the water, you're going to be there with us, Jesus. And we want this world to see nobody but you. We don't care about simple church. We don't care about our own lives. We want to see the world to see a top God. And anytime you are seen as the top God through our lives, that makes us top dogs for you. And we want to be those kind of people. People who are willing to believe there's nothing too hard for God to do. And that God and us, we have enough. So may that be our theme this week as we live. May you live your life out through us with that confidence. And may it be a light that shines in people's darkness. May they see you. Not us, but you, our God. Our almighty Jehovah God. And Lord, as we close, we pray together today for those 20 people who've died and their families who are suffering great loss today, a great giant in front of them. May somehow you, through your spirit, use this, oh God, both as a time of comfort for them but also a time of turning their heart toward you and even turning El Paso toward you and, and Ohio toward you. God, we uh, need you so much. Help us always to see you, not our giants. And I pray that your grace and comfort will be theirs, that your guidance and power, your presence, and your leadership will be ours this week as we live for you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you're new or want to know more about our Simple Church family, you can visit us online at simple.church or by downloading our simple.church app.